Amen. That is good singing. Uh, let's continue our worship by turning to John chapter 9. John 9, we're going to begin at verse 39 and study all the way through to verse 21 of chapter 10. John 9, 39 to 10, 21 is what we'll be studying together today, but we'll especially read 9.39 to 10.6 to begin everything together. As you're turning there, I want to say a special thank you not just to those men and women who have come from out of state to minister in the area, but I want to commend the church family for the ways that they have been serving one another and the community. It's a cool thing to see. People loving and serving one another and then looking to love and serve the hurting and the broken in our area. We are, indeed, it's been said over and over again the last few weeks, but it's true, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And you have been that so faithfully, so well. I hear so many stories of people just sacrificing their time, their money, their energy, their expenses to help others in Christ, and in many cases, those who don't know Christ at all. So just as a leader here, as, as one of the shepherds, on behalf of the leadership, I say thank you for the faithful ways that you've represented our Lord through this time. It's encouraging to see. John 9, I'll begin at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It's been said that if a picture is worth a thousand words, a symbol is worth 10,000 lectures. Pictures convey something indeed, but when you take something from a mere picture, a mere snapshot, which represents the reality of a particular moment, and you change it into a symbol, something that's supposed to be timeless and people are supposed to recognize uh, for generations to come, all of a sudden, the, the volume gets turned up to a way that could almost hurt your ears. Uh, we understand symbols, what they convey. Uh, red and blue lights flashing, for example, or a symbol of an emergency. Or even a, a red cross painted on the side of a bus represents uh, the opportunity to sacrifice one's own blood for the good of another. Uh, symbols fill our, our own culture, our own landscape in ways that 
we can actually appreciate and value. And yet the challenge is that sometimes when we're reading through the scriptures, a symbol is given and it's one that we're not as familiar with. Now I know that in this case, if the symbol is a shepherd and the sheep, everyone's like, yeah, I think I understand that. But to be fair, we don't really understand it to the same degree that the people who were originally reading this would have understand it, or understood it. Excuse me. I think of, um, if I were to say or refer to New York, whether you've been there or not, you get it. Tall buildings, busy streets, entertainment, maybe you think interesting foods, you think Statue of Liberty, you... You think of this as a center or a hub of American culture, for better or worse. You get it. You're you're, you're from here. Uh, It's almost a universal, uh, regular. But if I say something like sheep, you don't have any regular experience with sheep. You probably don't own a sheep. You may know somebody who owns one, but it's maybe a sheep or two. They're they're not shepherds by any means. Maybe the, the sheep is a pet of some kind. It's not something that's in your normal flow, your regular vocabulary. So I'm going to warn you of something right up front today. We're going to have to talk a lot about sheep. We need to get caught up with some of the the insider information that the people of that original culture would have. And I need to warn you of one more thing. It's kind of insulting. When you begin to understand that Jesus is presenting himself as the great shepherd, and he's presenting his potential people as sheep, it implies that we are people of desperate need. In fact, I heard one biologist say, a Christian biologist uh, say that, that sheep are proof that evolutionary theory is wrong. Because natural selection, the survival of the fittest, would imply that a sheep should not be here right now. Something else is going on. And we do find ourselves, though, in our more humble moments, like sheep. As strong as we think we are at any given moment, it only takes a storm to realize, oh, God, help us, you are in control. It isn't just weather. Sometimes it is financial duress. It is a physical threat to our body. We realize we do not have the same amount of power that we thought we did. We are not as independent as we think. We need someone from the outside to bring us into safety. It's only in more humble moments. And so, to a people who would have easily recognized the need for this type of humility, Jesus is going to present himself as this great shepherd leader that we all need so desperately. What's fascinating about this, friends, is that this discourse, normally called the Good Shepherd Discourse, is connected to the story of the man born blind. I don't know how your Bible looks, but the way mine's looking from up here, is there's a big old tin right here, and it says, I'm the good shepherd above it. And you know what that makes me think? Oh, this is a new section. But here's the deal. The tin or the thing that says, I'm the good shepherd, is not inspired. This is a direct conversation from the previous story. If you want to understand what Jesus is trying to say here, you can't ignore where we were two weeks ago when Jesus was healing the man born blind. 
I would maintain this connection to three ways. For those of you who are more um, like rhetorically inclined, you want to follow the argument. There's, there's a couple things or three things you need to note. First of all, like Jesus in these early moments was affirming himself or presenting himself as this divine leader that they were all waiting for by healing the man born blind. Do you remember the prophetic text from the Old Testament said that the healing of blindness would be a unique capacity of God's chosen representative when he would come on the earth? Jesus in the healing the man born blind wasn't just doing another miracle. He was validating his divine identity as evidenced by the fact that for the majority of that discourse in chapter 9, they're arguing about who he is. Is he a prophet? Is he the son of man? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? And you get to the end of the story, and here is the greatest irony. The blind man sees Jesus for who he is. And as we just read, the people who are supposed to see, the religious leaders of the day, they can't see him. They don't know. And Jesus confirms it. He says, hey, it's a fact. I am the leader. And the people who think they've got it all together, they're not going to recognize me. And the people who know they have needs, they're going to be the ones who see. So Jesus has set himself up as the divine leader. There's a debate. Is he the Lord? Is he the son of man? Is he the Christ? And then Jesus here is going to present himself as the shepherd. You're like, oh, well, that doesn't really fit. I get the Lord. I get son of man. I get Christ. I don't understand how shepherd is going to fit there. But you need to know that anyone in the ancient Near East or in, even in the first century would have recognized the shepherding metaphor as a metaphor for a ruler, as a boss. What's your favorite psalm? Probably Psalm 23. And what does God say of himself there? He's a shepherd to his people. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34 that we read earlier was talking about God himself being a shepherd for his people. It isn't just biblical, by the way. There were other political leaders in the ancient Near East who called themselves shepherds of their people. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he isn't just saying that he's a nice guy. He's continuing the debate and saying, I am the divine ruler that you are expecting. So the affirmation of Jesus' identity is clear. This is part of what connects the two stories. The other is this allegory in verses 1 through 5. Do you see that there? If you were reading through this text earlier this week, you were probably kind of confused because you're like, okay, 1 through 5 sounds like one thing, and then verses 7 through uh, 18, it sounds like he's kind of repeating himself. But you need to follow this. When you read verses 1 through 5, I want you to notice that Jesus just tells a story. He doesn't actually apply it to himself. Notice how it ended. It said they didn't understand the figure of speech that he used. He just gave him a figure of speech, a, a, a picture, a metaphor, a, a parable, an allegory, whatever term you want to use. And he didn't even fill it in. But this is what he expected. He expected that they would be able to fill in the blanks because any good religious leader knew Ezekiel 34, the passage that we read earlier. They knew that God would one day condemn the would-be leaders of Israel and replace them with himself. And so when Jesus starts talking about being a shepherd, or this shepherd who 
is authorized. He comes through the gate. The gatekeeper lets him in. And when he speaks, the sheep hear his voice. And they recognize him and they follow him. Like, they're supposed to pick up on the fact that he is that guy. Why? Because he just did that. What did Jesus just do in John 9? He showed up out of nowhere. He spoke to a guy in need and gave that guy life, eternal. The guy follows him even when he's abused by the religious leaders of the day. Do you remember what happened? They said, okay, you've got to pick. Basically, they told his parents, you pick between what you're going to say about Jesus or us. We're going to excommunicate you. Remember, that meant financial and relational suicide. And so they tell his parents, his parents cower at the fear of the leaders of the day. They give in, and what do they do? They then try to apply that same pressure to the guy. They say, don't say, you can't say that he's the Christ. Who do you think that he is? And he says, I think he's, a, I think he's at least a prophet. I think he is the Christ. All I know is that he's healed me. He would not denounce Christ no matter what. And what do they do to him? They take a guy who has no money, he's been begging for his entire life, and they kick him out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him from his family, from any potential financial benefit. He has no relational prospects. They abuse this man, just like the prophets would in Ezekiel 34. And then what happens? A good shepherd comes along. Jesus finds that man. He speaks to him. He tells him the truth. And then he not only restores his physical sight, as he'd already done, but he gives him spiritual sight. And he comes along to save him. And so when you, you're thinking about that with this story, well, what do you expect? There's the shepherd who actually steps up to the gate, to the sheep pen. There's an authorized guy there that lets him in. He goes in and he calls out to the general multitude of sheep that are there. And those sheep recognize his voice and they follow him just like this guy had done. Now are you ready for some sheep lore? You say, um, what does it mean that these sheep you know, will recognize his voice? Well, you need to understand there were two kinds of sheep pens. There were big permanent ones that would be located right next to a village. And there were temporary ones that would be erected when the sheep would have to go out and graze throughout the year. In the big communal ones, you could have anywhere from hundreds to thousands of sheep in the same uh, pen, but they would be comprised of multiple flocks. So imagine that. You actually have like 20 sheep, and somebody else has 50 sheep, and somebody else has 100 sheep. Well, you park them all in the same place. I mean, speaking of New York, it's like using one of those big community parking garages. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you give the guy your car, the, the thing disappears into a basement somewhere, and then the expectation is that you're going to show back up with a ticket, and it will come back up out of that basement. <laughs> they would release the sheep into the protection of this general sheepfold. There's no food in there. They would have already eaten it, but they would be safe. It's kind of like community parking. They let it in, and guess how they get the sheep out? You're like, what man, what do they do once they mix them all up? Well, they'd recognize the shepherd's voice. Like shepherds would speak to their sheep in such a way, and they still do even to this day, that the sheep recognize them as the source of safety and protection. And so when the, sh the shepherd will call out, their sheep 
will actually listen and respond and come to them and follow their lead, leaving the rest of the flock. It's a beautiful thing to consider. Jesus is saying, through this story, he doesn't even apply it to himself. Hey, here's the facts. The shepherd speaks, the sheep follow. Implication, this guy just followed me, I'm the shepherd. That's the parable, that's the story. There's one more thing that connects the two. You get to the end of Jesus' discourse when he's explaining this parable even further, and I want you to let your eyes fall on chapter 10, verse 19. Notice the response of the Pharisees who are listening into this conversation. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You notice that? They're still holding on to the fact that he did this unique thing that only the divine Messiah was expected to be able to do. So I just spent eight good minutes keeping these stories connected. Because I want you to understand that in this, Jesus is calling himself out to be the qualified care provider of God. I'm going to use the term qualified care provider because that makes sense to you. Shepherd, we don't fully understand yet, and Jesus doesn't just call himself a shepherd. He is the divine provider of care. And you're going to see this from two perspectives. The opening parable they didn't get. So he's going to now teach it to them. He's going to explain it to them. He's going to apply it from two perspectives. Perspective one, through the eyes of the sheep. Jesus describes himself to be the door to divine care. The door to divine care. He gives this picture to no effect. They don't get it. The Pharisees didn't pick up on his Ezekiel 34 imagery. They didn't understand what he was talking about. So Jesus decides that he's going to make it plain. Look at verse 7 because we haven't read it yet. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. I'm making an announcement that is official here. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Stop there. This perspective of Jesus being the door is in verses 7 through 10. It's confined to this. And what you understand is that there are two main places for sheep to be provided for. In the pen and outside of it. You're like, wow, that logic's really good. It's really sound. Well, I want you to understand something. Something unique happens in the pen. The pen is for protection. There is no other place where a sheep would be more safe than within the the four confines of a stone wall. Now, you think about it. They can't eat there, too, because they would have already eaten all the grass. You may not be as familiar with sheep, but some of you have probably seen some of your neighbors who have goats. And sheep are similar to goats in that they'll eat anything and everything in their path. (laughs) Well, if you shove them all into one spot, it's just a barren nothing. You don't eat in a pen. You actually are protected there. But the only way they would have access to that exclusive protection 
is not by climbing up over a wall because, frankly, sheep just aren't that skilled. They have to be let in. And to be let in, you have to have a door. So what does Jesus say? I am the door to the protection. I am the means by which you will enjoy exclusive safety. But that's not all he says because he also says that he's the door to provision. Not just the door to protection, but the door to provision. He's not just the door to to safety, he's the door to sustenance. So those sheep, they may be safe at night and in this big old pen, but the truth is they got to go eat at some point. How are they going to get to the food? They got to go through a door. (laughs) They've got to get out somehow. So Jesus is not only the means of protection, he's the means of provision. He's not only the door to their safety, he's the door to their sustenance. And I want you to note specifically, as he's making this claim to be the door of God's care, that he makes it very exclusive. Look again at at your text. I'm going to read it and I'm going to try to trick you. Verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am a door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am a door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this is good news, right? I mean, Jesus is a door. There are many doors out there, and Jesus is just one among the many, right? Is that what your Bible says? No. (laughs) Thank you. Some of you were really confused there for a second. It's the door. That's explicit in the Greek language as well. You know, you, we believe in plenary verbal inspiration, that every single word of God is inspired, even the does. Do you know the difference between the two? If Jesus says, I'm a door, he'd just say there's many options of providing divine care and protection. He'd say, no, 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 no. It's not that there's many options. There's only one option. That option is me. I am the door. I provide exclusive access to this means of God's care. And I get it. Some of you could be a little more skeptical and be saying like, okay, Justin, that's a lot to hinge upon the word the. I mean, really, with all the good options out there, with all the well-meaning philosophers and religious teachers through the centuries, are you really going to say that they were all dead wrong on account of the word the? No. Listen to it in the context. It isn't just that he says, I'm the door. Listen to what he says about every other potential means of provision. He says, you enter by me for this salvation, protection, or provision, and he contrasts himself with what? All everyone else. Do you see that, verse 8? All who came before me. Now we're not just talking about the shepherd. We're comparing the shepherd with everyone else. All means all. Every. (laughs) Anyone else who's come has not been able to provide care. They've not been able to provide protection and provision. What they've done is provided death and destruction. They actually prey upon the people. The thief only steals and kills and destroys, but I, I came to my sheep that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. You need to understand something, that when Jesus is saying this, they are picking up what he's laying down because they had been abused, abused over and over again by guys who were claiming to be shepherd leaders. 
Have you ever read, have you ever read the, the book of Judges? And I mean, I'm telling you, that thing's a dumpster fire. If you just want to see a place in political disarray, read through the book of Judges, and you know what keeps happening over and over again. There's a little commentary at the end of every one of those train wreck of a stories. And there was no king in Israel. Despots love a vacuum. The, the people of God at some point found themselves without any shepherds at all. And so they would have people stand up and say, yeah, we'll lead. But they led them into destruction and it was a problem. And then you had a season of respite. You had David. He was a great king. But then what happened? Solomon took over. He did okay. He made them rich, but he didn't care for their souls very well. And then you had this just explosion, this rash of terrible kings after that who would abuse them and lead them into problem after problem after problem, even to the point where they would totally lose their autonomy as a nation and be captured by another nation. And guess what? Now they're under the abusive leadership of foreign shepherds. So they had no shepherds at one time. Then they had bad shepherds. Then they had foreign shepherds. And guess what? They end up back in the land about 400 years before Jesus. And then they still had dudes who were trying to step up and saying, I will be your leader. And you know what would happen to those would-be Messiah figures? I say this kindly. But they would stir the people up to revolt against Rome, and they would get their butts kicked every time. The people would be decimated over and over again by people who said, I know how to provide leadership. I could care for you. And over and over again, they would be abused. They would be obliterated. And Jesus is saying, everyone else who came before you, all those other political leaders, all those other potential shepherds, they were thieves. They destroyed they decimate. They do not provide life. Only I provide life. He says, I not only come to give life, but I've come to give it abundantly, in abundance, in excess. You say, um, Justin, this is all fine and well and good, but what does that mean for us? We're not necessarily uh, falling prey to to these other political leaders in our own day. We're not subject to the same temptations as they. I don't know. It seems to me that we do have this tendency from time to time to look to someone else other than Jesus to be the means of protection and provision both now and in eternity. I want you to get the picture here and I'll modernize it a little more with maybe some more shepherding lore. Are you ready? <laughs> there were two types of pens. There was the communal pen that was normally appended to a village, and it could have several different flocks in it at one time. But then there's what I'll call personal pens that would be provided, erected, when shepherds would take their flocks away from the village to go find green grass somewhere, anywhere. That meant that they would have to travel several miles. But here's the deal. Once you start taking a whole herd of sheep out into the open space, they're going to be threatened, right? There may be grass there, but there's also threats there. So you know what these guys would do? They would actually either have to build their own temporary pen at night just for their flock, or sometimes they would find a cave uh, in, the, in the rocky land that is Israel, and, and shove all those sheep into a cave, and guess what the shepherd would do? He would lie at the entrance of the cave, thereby making himself the door. 
If the sheep wanted the protection of the cave, they would have to go by him into that safe spot. If they wanted to get out the next day for the provision of the grass, they would go by him. He himself was the door. You're like, oh, Justin, that's really creative. I like how you came up with that. I didn't come up with that. Jesus came up with that. That's what shepherds in those contexts do. I found three independent reports of individuals who traveled to modern-day Palestine, Israel, interviewed shepherds and said, yeah, this is standard fare. This is practice. Th these aren't Jewish people trying to make Jesus out to be the Messiah. These are just normal, everyday, ordinary Jewish people who say, yeah, that's how shepherding works. The, the, the shepherd is the door in those contexts. Imagine him traveling around the countryside with a stinking door on his back. That's stupid. He needs to be the door. Jesus is saying, I am the exclusive means of divine protection and provision. No one else. Maybe I could give you an analogy that makes sense to you. It's as if Jesus here decides to play the price is right with them. And they do the door game. Now, you know the door game. There could be multiple doors up on stage, and you can just kind of hear it now. Take your favorite uh, MC from The Price is Right, whether it be Bob Barker or Drew Carey, depending on what, how old you are. If you're younger than, than 25 here and you don't know who Bob Barker is, he's an icon. You should look him up. So The Price is Right, everybody's all excited. You can imagine, you know, so-and-so coming down, and they're going to play the door game, and they have to pick between one of five doors, and, and they're going to say, and he's saying, like, okay, between this one door is divine protection and provision for all of eternity, everything that you'll ever need, and then everything else, be careful what you choose, is death and destruction. And you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is a heavy Price is Right game. And so Bob turns to the contestant and says, all right, make your choice. And then the people start crying out from the audience. Choose, choose the door of Islam. Choose Islam, Islam. Choose the door of Roman Catholicism. Let's go with that one. Catholicism, Catholicism. Some people say, choose the door of expressive individualism. Hey, you just follow yourself. You do what your heart desires. That can lead to peace and prosperity and happiness. Choose the, the door of religious philosophy. Maybe you could think yourself into this kind of, I mean, everybody's crying out, you know, like they do. And then imagine the MC with his little microphone saying, hey, we're going to make this one really easy for you. We've never done it in the history of this game. It's actually the door of Jesus. Behind that door is eternal life and satisfaction. Behind that door is safety and sustenance. But it's still your call. Jesus told us what's behind the door. He has yelled it into his microphone. Choose me for divine provision and protection. Everything else, anyone else will lead to death and destruction both now and for all eternity. It doesn't matter what they say, what they claim, how nice they look. If somebody is offering anything other than Jesus, it leads to death and destruction. It is not going to lead to provision or protection. 
So Jesus here is claiming to be the door. He is the means by which we enjoy God's shepherding care. Friends and fellow ones, fellow gathered today, whoever you are, I want you to know that there is a myriad of means, of doors out there offering all kinds of safety and sustenance and salvation. And friends, I'm just telling you, like Jesus has proved it, he is that. No one else is, no matter how well-meaning. It doesn't matter what the crowd thinks or cries out to you. You're the contestant. And you must choose the right door. I say that to some of you who have yet to go through it. You've contemplated Jesus as the door. You may even agree that he's the door, but you have not yet entered into his safety by faith. Do so today. Can I say a word to those of you who are already going in and out of that door, going into the door of protection, into the door of provision? I want you to know that your friends, our family members who are so well-meaning are being abused at the hands of erroneous philosophies and beliefs that not only decimate them in this life, but in the life to come. And may I provide a special warning? There is a group of people, there are several groups of people who claim to be Christians that are not about Christ as the door. I'm not just going to talk about religious cults like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, but I'm especially concerned about prosperity gospel preachers who will say that they're offering Jesus, but all they're really offering is selfishness. (laughs) Do you want a commentary on this? I don't have time to do it right now. But like I was exercising the other day, like listening to this like Christian rap thing i know it's just weird i heard the most profound song and yes i mean it look it up when you get home you'll you'll like this homework exercise shy lynn false teachers it will blow your mind because the guy does a beautiful job of exposing the false teachers that are out there claiming to be the door And even saying, like, there's some Christian associations with this door, but they're not sending you through the door of Christ. It would help you. It would help your soul. I mean, you want the real... How Jesus does this. He... You want God's qualified care? I mean, you want the real protection? You want to know who the real provider of God's care is? Look to Jesus. He is the door to divine care. That's the perspective of the sheep. The sheep see Jesus as the door. They, he is their means of protection. He is their means of provision. But that's not all. There is another perspective offered here in this text, and that is not just through the eyes of a sheep, but through the eyes of a shepherd. Jesus not only describes himself to be the door of divine care, listen to this, he describes himself to be the doer of divine care. The doer. D-O-E-R. He does it. He's the one that provides it. He's not just the means, but he's actually the one that gets the job done. I mean, the door places the responsibility on sheep to go in and out, but the shepherd actually highlights the fact that Jesus is the one who gets the job done. Now, twice here, just like earlier, he, twice he called himself the door, twice here he's going to call himself the good shepherd. I want you to be listening out, though, as we read through this text, what makes him so good? 
It's broken into to three little sections. I don't normally do subpoints like this, but this is so easy to follow. I think it'll serve you well. Verses 11 through 13. See what makes him good. Notice verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now notice this. He's telling you why he is going to be the good shepherd. Remember, there were all kinds of potential shepherds out there. All kinds of potential primary care providers from God. And he's saying, I am it. I am that exclusively. How will you know it? How do you know I'm the good shepherd? Because a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's the standard of good here? Sacrificial care. Sacrificial. He contrasts that here, not with thieves and robbers, that they're malicious of intent. Now he contrasts it with hired hands. Now, for any of us who have ever worked an hourly job, you're like, oh, that's kind of insulting. It implies that all hired hands are just really bad workers. But here's the truth of the matter. There's a difference between a business that you own and working for somebody else's business. I saw it the other day at Culver's. It was was the most, like, graphic picture because the owner, he had it on his name tag, the owner was serving people at the counter. And there was a teenager beside him, an hourly worker, clearly, who was not nearly as interested in the same level of service that the owner was providing standing behind that register. Like, the kid over there, like, their mom said, you need a job, because they probably didn't have any needs anyway. Or just they want some money for video games. And so if something goes wrong, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not really my problem. But the owner, like, he feels everything. Jesus is saying... I'm not the hourly worker. There are people who are out there who are just hourly workers. They're, just, they're actually, like, when the real threat comes, they're just going to run away and the effects will be devastating. Here's how you're going to know what a really good leader's like, because anybody can present well. Will they lay down their life for the sheep? You can see polish, you can see charisma, their resume may look fantastic, but the question for Jesus is, will they lay down their life? Will they not just be willing to, but will they die? That was the standard of good shepherding care even then. Do you remember that story from um, the David and Goliath story, right? You've got David, and he's going to go out and fight Goliath. And you may not remember this. He had to actually present his resume to Saul. He's like, well, why are you going to be the one to fight Goliath? Do you remember that? And David says, oh, I'm qualified to fight because I've been a shepherd. And, you know, the natural question is like, okay, uh, caring for sheep is not the same as taking down a 10-foot giant. And so David says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear or took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. They're like, dude. This isn't just like little David, like with a harp and an eight-year-old. I mean, this is a guy that's been wrestling bears. I don't know how that works. But it all of a sudden elevates the job of shepherding excellence. It isn't babysitting safe little sheep. It is willing to put your life on the line for their safety and well-being. Jesus said, that's how you're going to identify the good shepherd. Does he lay down his life for the sheep? 
and history would confirm it, friends, this shepherd would indeed lay down his life. For whom has any other political or religious leader actually died for the people? Maybe some have died in some form of martyrdom, but there's more than just the need to sacrifice. Jesus is not only a sacrificially good shepherd, he is a particularly good shepherd. Here's the next aspect of good shepherding. Look at verse 14. He's going to say it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, notice this. As the good shepherd, this is just straight from the text, Jesus enjoys a special relationship with his sheep, not just all the sheep or livestock in particular. Jesus has in mind a particular group of people that he would love and serve and die for. He knows his sheep, his people in an intimate way. It says he knows them to such a degree that it parallels the knowledge that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, knowledge, knowledge is just intellectual. Friends, you need to know that anytime you're reading the New Testament especially and you see the word know, it is talking more about relational knowledge than it is factual knowledge. Like, the, the way that I know my wife is different than the way that you know my wife. You know stuff about her. I know her. That's the kind of know that's being used here. Jesus doesn't just know stuff about the Father. He's in intimate relationship with the Father. And what he's saying here is that the people that he will come to save, he will be in intimate relationship with him, and they'll be in intimate relationship with him. He is going for a particular group of sheep. There would be certain ones that he would try to rescue. Have you, you ever, friends, considered the fact that Jesus knows you and still died for you. He knows everything about you. All that stuff that you wouldn't want anybody else to ever know. He knows it. The stuff that you even did this week, he knows it. And he still died for you. He knows you. You know, sometimes in marriage context, like I see a guy and he gets married and I'm like, whew, well, he snuck that one in. Good thing she didn't know everything. I think some of us all feel that way from time to time. Like, I hope they don't really find out everything about me or this feels off. But what if they did know everything about you and still entered into that relationship anyway? That is the love of Jesus for his sheep. What makes a good shepherd good? He loves sacrificially but he also loves particularly. It isn't just, all right, come and get it. He has a particular group of people that he's expressing love to. This is beautiful. And notice this, it isn't just Jewish people. It says that he would include other sheep as well. Did you know that I'm in the Bible? And it's right here. And so are you. We can always read the Bible and think, oh, that's talking about the nation of Israel. That's the Jewish people. It is this very passage that says that those of you who do not have Jewish blood will be included into the special flock of God. He included you. He loves sacrificially. He loves particularly. And look in verses 17 and 18. Notice how he 
is a good shepherd on account of the fact that he shepherds his sheep victoriously. Victoriously. Now, I'm going to read 17 and 18, but I, I need you to think with me for a second. Don't, don't read it yet. Let's think. Twice already that Jesus has indicated that he's going to lay down his life for a sheep. Now, if we're talking about the standard of good shepherd and care, let me ask you this really logical question here. Is it really a good idea for a shepherd to die in the line of service? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, well, I'm glad that he took care of that bear, but who's going to take care of the next one? I mean, when the shepherd's dead... Who's going to be the one getting those sheep to the pasture? Who's going to be the ones getting them in the flock? What good is a dead shepherd? That's the question that I think we should be asking of ourselves here. So anticipating this little quandary, Jesus lists the final feature of his good and exclusive shepherding care. Now look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Notice this. Jesus wasn't just someone who threw himself on the wheel of history and was crushed by it. He actually laid down his life for his sheep. But listen to this. He himself took it up again. He had the authority not only to die on behalf of the people, he had the authority to come back to life. I mean, you thought healing a blind man from birth is a big deal? What do you do with a guy that actually brings himself back to life after being crucified by the Roman government? He says it twice. I will lay my life down, I will take it up again, and my father loves this about me. And you should too. You don't serve a dead shepherd. You serve a victorious one. Be careful, friends. There's a group of people out there who think, oh, I love Jesus. He's just such a great religious teacher. And the love that he had for his people to die for them when he was so misunderstood, that gives us an example that we should follow in, in wanting to die for things that we believe in. Friends, that is a real thing. It's called Christian liberalism. It's alive and well. It's in several churches here in Macon. He didn't just die. He rose again. He overcame death to vindicate his claim that he is the exclusively good shepherd. Here's the deal. You may know of other religious leaders who died in service for their people, but which ones came back to life again? Only Jesus. He shepherds sacrificially, particularly, and victoriously. And what I love about this is in, in presenting things in this way, Jesus is placing exclusive responsibility for care upon himself. I don't know if you get it, friends, but sheep have no natural defense mechanism. Their wool is no protection to any claw. Uh, they're not that intelligent. In fact, in Psalm 23, where it says he leaves beside the still waters, it's because the sheep are afraid of moving water. So they need calm water. They won't even drink the water. In fact, there's actually uh, instances in which a particular sheep, when being threatened by a particular animal, get so scared that they just stand there. The term scared stiff, you ever heard of it? It's real. <laughs> they're, they're, 
their bleak will not, will not scare anything away. I mean, at least a little dog can like yap and try to sound ferocious. Sheep just say, bah. It's almost like come and get it. They are exclusively dependent on the care of someone outside them. And you know what Jesus is saying here? I provide that care. I lay down my life. I pick those sheep. And I come back to life again for them. I take advantage of it from stem to stern, from top to bottom, from A to Z. It is mine. In any endeavor, it's kind of important for people to know who's doing what. You see that in home. You see that in government. I was just listening to some, uh, when earlier in our prayer time, we had people praying for the elections going on. You know, if you look at the status of this country, this is, I love this. I love to hear people talk like this. Like, oh, man, this, this country is just a, such a mess. I don't know what's going up there in Washington. Well, the crazy thing is you can blame whoever you want to. I mean, but you're the one that votes. You know, it's kind of like a team thing, right? Who's responsible for what? Is it the people's fault that the nation is the way it is? Is it the president's fault the nation is the way it is? Is it the legislation's fault that the nation is the way it is? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a really hard thing to determine. Who, who does what? If we're all accountable, who's responsible for this? Who's responsible for that? You're responsible for electing. Well, the president's responsible for executing. The legislature's responsible for making laws. And the judiciary's responsible for interpreting those laws. But, like, we're all kind of in this mess together. The interesting thing, though, about Jesus here in this particular metaphor is he actually will not share the responsibility with the sheep at all. Sheep do not contribute to their care. Even stubborn sheep, listen to this, even stubborn sheep, a shepherd will make them eat. If they roam off, you could say, oh, well, if they're free will, they decided to leave the flock. I guess that we should just let them go because that's what they decided to do. That's not what good shepherds do. They even pursue straying sheep. And if the sheep is stubborn and won't come back on its own, the shepherd will literally break the thing's leg, put it on its shoulders, and bring it back. He takes full responsibility for the care of the sheep every time. And thus Jesus presents himself as the good shepherd. Even when we're not participating, he still provides and protects. Mark sent me that, that text this week from Ah Holy Jesus. The full title is Ah Holy Jesus, Hast Thou Offended? I've never sang it either, so if it was new to you, don't worry, it's new to me. You know that thing is almost 400 years old? It was first published in 1630. Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? I know it's new. I know it's familiar. I didn't even ask for that to be sung. I, I thought it was cool that we did. Thank you. But listen again to that third verse. Lo, the good shepherd, for the sheep is offered. The slave hath sinned and the son hath suffered. For our atonement, while we nothing heeded, God While we weren't listening, while we weren't doing it the right way, while we weren't following, God interceded. Friends, he's not just the door to God's care. He is the doer of God's care. 
he is not just consulted or informed. He is responsible. He brings it to end of job. You say, uh, Justin, okay, this is really interesting. This is really comforting for some, but maybe this is curious for others. How do I know? How do I know if I'm part of this? How do I know if I'm one of these sheep? I mean, if he's the one that takes full responsibility for these sheep, like, how in the world do I know if I'm part of his plan? How do I know if I'm one of those sheep for whom Christ died? Well, here's some good questions you can ask yourself, friends, and you need to ask yourself these questions. Do you recognize your need for him? That's what the whole story about the man born blind was about. The religious leaders, they thought they had it all together. They're like, we don't need Jesus. The blind man realized, I need Jesus. Do you recognize your need for him? Do you hear his voice? Have you been drawn to him as the shepherd of your soul? It says, my sheep hear my voice. They respond. They want to obey him. Let me ask you, do you have it as a desire in your heart that you want to follow this Jesus? That is supernatural. If you don't want to follow Jesus, you might not yet be one of his sheep. Do you recognize your need? Do you respond to his voice? Do you hope in his death and resurrection? You're not looking to care for yourself as an independent sheep. You recognize your need for his death and his resurrection to be applied to your life for your comfort and safety for all of eternity. And so the Jewish religious leaders heard this little speech, and we conclude, they're asking themselves, is he really that? The son of man, the Christ, the shepherd from God? Is he really the, the, the divinely qualified care provider? Notice verses 19 to 21, they wrestle through it. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of those who are blind? Friends, this speech calls the division. There was literally two groups of people now. There were those who were cynical and there were those who were searching. Some were already his sheep. But of those who were not, some were cynical, like, this guy's crazy. He must be demon-possessed. And then the others were like, really? Could this really be the one? This is the one that could do only that which God can do by healing the man born blind? This is the one who later they would reflect could do only what God could do by overcoming death itself? It's up to us now to hear and heed his voice. Who is it to make such claims? How do we know if he's the one? I want to conclude by reading to you the last few lines of the verses we read earlier. How would anybody ever know that Jesus was indeed the promised shepherd? Ezekiel 34, just I'm not going to read the whole thing, but listen out. It says, you're going to have leaders who are going to destroy you and decimate you. And because of that, I will come one day and shepherd you. And I'm going to care for my sheep, not just uh, all the sheep. I'm going to care for my sheep in particular. 
And we didn't read verses 21 to 23, but we will now, and this will close us out. I'll start at verse 22, actually. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. How do we know whether or not Jesus is that shepherd from God promised from so long ago? There were two qualifications that need to be met that this text forced you to reckon with right now. Number one, is he divine? Because God said, I will be the shepherd to my people. I will take care of them. Whoever it is must be one on equal status with God himself. And then the second, is he Davidic? Notice he says, I will do it myself. But then there's something that's hard for us to reconcile. I will do it through my servant David. How does that work? Well, whoever it is needs to be divine, but they also need to be in the Davidic line. They need to be a human born on this planet who represents the Davidic rule. Friends, contemplate Jesus. He's the only one who is of God. He's the only one whose line descended from David. This is our shepherd king. If you're in Christ already, he is your shepherd. Can I remind you of something? There is great calm to be enjoyed. The world may be spinning around us, but he has taken on full responsibility for our eternal care. You say, Justin, I wish I had that. I don't have that. I don't. Well, you not only need to actually enjoy this calm, but you need to come to him by faith. It's only through Jesus that you'll enjoy that. And if you're wondering what that even looks like, talk to me, talk to another church member before you leave even today. Let's now praise and pray to our good shepherd. Father, I'm so glad that you came to care for your people, your sheep. And you did it. You, you yourself, you came for your son, our Lord Jesus. And there are anxious hearts in this room even now. Lord, for those who are in Christ, Lord, the, the storm of, of last week, and the storms in our own souls, Lord, threaten us. Lord, we sense scarcity, we sense need. Lord, assure all who are hurting and anxious that are in Christ today that their shepherd will defend them, that he will hold them fast. Comfort your people. And we pray that you would draw those who are not yet your sheep into your fold. Or those who have not yet come to you as their shepherd, leader, and Lord by faith, oh, I pray that they would come even now to save your sheep and do this all for your glory. In Jesus' name.